This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Talking Dirty over at East Ruston Old Vicarage. Looking like he stepped out of an E17 video in his white hoodie is Alan Edward Herbert Gray. You're just looking, I don't know, you like you should be in a snow globe or something. Well, I'm not quite in a snow globe because we haven't actually had any snow here, but I have to say that sort of 10 to 15 miles inland, they've had about two or three inches of snow. So we, you know, we've escaped that. Um, but it is, it's pretty cold here. So there's me sitting here in white. There's you sitting over there, way over there in Cambridgeshire. There's Thordis, Maria Sophia Friedrichsen, ladies and gentlemen. And she is uh, dressed this morning in red and blue. Quite contrasty. Really rather lovely. It's a, it's a kind of a... Well, it's a botanic pattern, I guess. It is, and I wore this especially. It is my most patterned and one of my most beloved pieces of clothing, and I thought I would get this out for a podcast featuring one of the most colourfully clothed men in horticulture, which is saying <laughs> something up against Alan Gray. Jimmy uh, <laughs> Lake of Huntingbrook, how on earth are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Yeah, delighted to be doing this. I want everything you're wearing. It is such a fantastic outfit. <laughs> Does that outfit have a story? Did you get it from somewhere extraordinary? That, well, the shirt is handmade, and it's it was I bought it in a market in London, and the woman got them made in a village in Ghana. Um, and this is an Irish, an Irish uh, designer made these, but they're really comfy. Uh, really comfy. A very snuggly cow, and we've shared our middle names. What about you? Edward, James Edwards, Jimmy, Jimmy Edwards, like. Were you always called Jimmy from infancy? Yeah, yeah, it was Chris and James and called Jimmy, yeah, J-I-M-I. It's a very good name. It's a very well-known name in horticulture. Um, and we talk a lot about Instagram on this podcast. Your Instagram feed is just a, a fantastic, fun, inspiring affair. Uh, for people who, for some reason, don't know about your fabulous garden, tell us about you and tell us about Huntingbrook. Huntingbrook is in Ireland and it's uh, about 40 minutes inland from the city centre from Dublin and we're quite high up and it's amazing we did get a little bit of snow tiny bit of snow and uh, but the snow stayed all day yesterday and everywhere else it's gone we're, we're high up for a thousand feet so it's you know and I tried to grow so many tender plants walking out there this morning the ground is rock hard I, I collect a lot of different pseudopanics and they're just like just like they're covered in diamonds this morning they're just I hope they're okay but um yeah Honeybrook is it's on the side of the farm that I grew up on um about 20 acres of land and I started it um oh how long did I start it I think 19 years ago uh, and it's just a crazy collection collection of plants and it's funny I this spring, because we're all rethinking, rethinking everything. My big thing this year is is nurturing that inner nerd. <laughs> and you know, when I started Honeybrook, it, it's always been about you know collecting plants and collecting plants, and um, and then it became it became quite a big business, and now it's got a lot smaller the business. 
but it's just it's just that lovely reminder that's what I'm about I'm about just this this collecting and collecting plants I just I just love it we can tell because I'm just looking at the backdrop that you've uh, uh, that you've got there um you're sitting in your cabin and you've got this um I don't know what it is hanging in that macrame hanger at the top there but this wonderful collection <laughs> of <laughs> wonderful collection of cacti and to the foreground right at the bottom of the screen there's some snowdrops that are obviously warm enough that they flicked open their their petals yeah look yeah at that. Oh, um, i'm glad it. i brought them in i brought them in yesterday oh helibor is dead but i brought yeah because i i collect snowdrops as well me too <laughs> yeah why not why not well that's you know it's only money <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was the last few days I've been so bold. So I've been really feeling sorry for myself. And uh, I ordered so many snowdrops in the last two days. I was uh, thinking, would I, would I? And then yesterday I was grumpy and I just said, right, I'm ordering them all. And I just. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that they make more, Jimmy. And you're able to do that. What a friend of mine did to me yesterday, he sent me a picture of a, a, a bright golden snowdrop in a golden ovaries, yellowish stalks. And golden door marks on the outer petals and it was golden fleece of course which is one of the ones that was um one wow. of the most expensive snowdrops yeah. ever and uh I, I didn't know what it was called at this time at this point and i said you're gonna have some of those later on in the year and he said i might have one or two yeah. um i just hope they come down in price <laughs> <laughs> but you know you've got to have these things you really have but well, interesting what you just said about pseudo panax and you being a thousand feet up um, in a funny sort of way, that's quite fascinating because you're probably trialing lots of these plants um, in, and, and, you know, as to whether they will be hardy or not. Yeah, it's, it is amazing what, what survives. Um, all the pseudopanics are surviving and there must be 15 different pseudopanics here now. I mean, the, today now is actually, today we'll, we'll, we'll test them. Um, there's uh, quite a lot of moles toes, pseudopanics moles toes planted on a bank. Um, yeah. just for that vertical interest and uh, they would have been a little bit tender so hopefully they're okay I better, I better just explain that Pseudopanax mower's toes is, is actually a variety of Pseudopanax yeah yeah <laughs> just in case people wonder what the hell Jimmy's talking about <laughs> and it's quite it's quite available as well like I, I see that the wholesalers have them and they're, get, they're in garden centres I mean a lot of the borders have Pseudopanax in them Crassifolius is working out the hardiest um, and then down the valley, I have Pseudopanax latus with the yep. leaves. I meant to pick it. That grows enormous. It's an amazing plant. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're great. I've had to take it out twice because I underestimated the size of it. I mean, it just, just took over everything and I didn't give it enough space. It does need a lot. It's a big plant. Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of pruning on it. So in the valley, I don't want plants to be blobs, big green blobs. I want to be able to see through them as you're walking down or walking up. Crown raise it when it's when it's when you raise the crown on them they're really beautiful and they they look they look very tropical top tip jimmy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so obviously um we're, we're building up we're gradually building up a picture of hunting brook you've, you've got that that lovely valley as well you've got a lot of different planting opportunities yeah i'm lucky lucky really uh lots of woodlands well like a big percentage of it is woodland actually uh but we've opened up big pockets in the valley as well so that we can plant um, and that's where a lot of the woody collection are, the shepherds and a lot of rhododendron, a lot of big ro big leaf rhododendrons. You see, I envy you that because you can grow those over in Ireland because you have a higher rainfall than we do. 
I mean, our rainfall on the eastern side of England here is notoriously low. I think it's about 20 inches yeah. a year. Um, I think we had it all yesterday almost. You, know? <laughs> you see, I end, and then I look at your container planting and I look at your tropicals and your the dry garden and I'm like, oh, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> that is where we're perverse. I don't know whether we're perverse, Jimmy, or just greedy, because we always want what we what we probably can't have. We've talked about this on past podcasts with the Himalayan blue poppy, which Alan, I think, does quite a good job of growing, considering the conditions he's trying to grow it in. Um, is, I bet Jim got swathes. I was going to say, is that something that you can do? <laughs> do you know what? I can, and I don't have it now. Um, I yeah, I just I just kind of died out. Do you know when you don't look after them? I, I had big displays them years ago. I must do it again. <laughs> so, so what what plants have been kind of, I suppose, taking up your brain space apart from the snowdrops, where clearly they've been taking up a lot of your brain space this weekend. But over the past years, um, what has been your kind of your big, um, exciting planting? Experimenting with the Aureliaceae family, um, so Shepherds. I did bring. I ran down the valley and brought in a few leaves. Oh. Am I at that point yet? Or yeah, should I, should go I, for I, it. Okay. So this, like, this would definitely be Chef for a uh, Della Bayi. And wow. it's, it's, it's a massive, massive plant, but like very hardy. So basically right down through the valley, the team or the repetition is Chefferous right along the paths uh, and different Chefferous. Now I do protect some of them when they're very young and then when they, they get woodier, they're, they're much hardier. Um, well, I did, that, I did that with a collection of schleffers, Jimmy. I thought um, about five years ago, we got a collection of schleffers uh, from, I can't remember where they came from, but they could well have come from Pan Global or somewhere like that, or, or, yeah. or, or uh, Creek Farm. Um, yeah. And I decided that I was gonna keep them in pots for three or four years, which is what we did before we planted them out, just to toughen them up a bit. Yeah, and did that work? Yeah, yes, it yeah. has. But they haven't been really tested. When I'm when when they're quite small, I do bring them in. I bring them in maybe for when they're small. If they're small plants, I've maybe grown from seed. I bring them in for the first two years, maybe three yeah. years. Yeah, winter in winter. Um, that's Sheffer rhododendrifolia, which is just beautiful, and it's turned into the most handsome plant. Um, like rhododendrifolia, I think is a real smasher. Uh, but I'm also growing alpinum, Taiwaniana, good few different other ones. Yeah. Um, and just experimenting with them. And I suppose just not having that thing in your mind where you're restricting your your fun or your creativity by thinking a plant won't grow because where you live, it's about just giving them a go. And I love Sheffler's. It may not be the most ideal place for, for tender plants, but... I try, I'm trying them and I'm seeing what they really need. They didn't do that well in the garden. They got, they did get frosted in the garden, but down in the valley, the banks of the valley are dry. So the roots aren't sitting in wet and it's sheltered. Do they get a little bit of overhead shelter from trees as well? They get a little bit of overhead shelter as well. So that counts yeah. for a lot, I think. It dry does, yeah. The key and then a little bit of overhead shelter. Is that, it, it's amazing the difference that makes. Yeah. So that'd be like, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I work a lot with foliage plants, all the different pseudopanics, but then it's colour and colour is what I have fun with. Well, uh, I saw a photograph last year, part of your garden, 
um, and you kind of used, it, it's difficult for me to explain, shall, shall I say, um, uh, Enceti Morelia, you'd used it as dots through almost like a prairie planting, which was, I yeah. thought, it was breathtaking. Yeah, thank you. It looked incredible, but I mean, tell us about some of the plants that you included in that planting. I mean, were there, were, was it a lot of, I mean, I, what I'm trying to say is, was it a very expensive planting or did you grow lots of it from seed? Um, no, like the garden is generally done on quite a low budget. Um, I grow a lot from seed. Um, the bananas, you know, I get them when they're small. I plant them in pure manure, loads and loads of manure. And they get big really quick. It. They love it. Like, you know, I experimented with just pots of bananas last year not using any compost, just use the manure. And um, they, they, they grew enormous without, without any soil. Um, <laughs> anyway, it needs to be well rotted for that. But um, yeah, a lot of the perennials, perennials dividers, you know, when I was doing all my trips to England and I could buy plants from England, um, it, um, I would only be bringing back one of each because a lot of the time I was flying and I was coming back on flights to Ireland and with a bag full of maybe 60 plants. Um, I've spent years doing that. And then I trial the plants, trial the perennials, pick out the best, and then propagate from them. Yeah, I like that kind of contrast of, of, of spectacular leaf with fairly ordinary perennials. I agree with you, but the thing is, I think you learn if you're on a limited budget. And I mean, we were on a limited budget when we first began the garden here. And I think the first thing you learn if you've got a big area is that you've got to become a good propagator because if you're not, you'll go bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to learn I mean, the various techniques. And it's not a huge, um, it's not a difficult science. It's very easy to be practical about it. Yeah, yeah. And I love propagating. So like bananas, my plan was to do a whole area of bananas this year. Like over a hundred bananas or more. Um, and I grew them. I didn't have the patience to wait to sow the seed until spring. And I sowed it all in the autumn and they all came up and I spent weeks showing off from the internet um, how amazing the bananas were. And then they all died. Um, they just didn't like, you know, there were small banana plants going through winter. They get green fly. They're all dead. Um, but anyway, I'll buy all the seed again and I'll sow it now at the proper time in, in March. So. Yeah, it's so important for the the vast swathe of people who you know watch or listen to this who are in the much newer gardener group, or actually even if you're experienced, to know that you know the the most experienced of gardeners still might make mistakes or you know sow something at the wrong time, things like that. It's it's yeah. it's so easy to do. Yeah, well, I was trying to decide whether to sow the seed, and a friend of mine was here, and he said. He says to me, oh, for God's sake, just sow the seed. They'll either live or they'll die. And if they die, you can sow them again in spring. So it was maybe good <laughs> advice. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, they, they live or they die. Yeah. That sounds like the kind of advice Alan Gray would give. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, prob I probably would, actually, because at least you've got two bites of the cherry. And yeah, I think Alan Gray would be a little bit more parsimonious, and he'd say, sow half of them now and save half <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was too excited. And what do you, how do you keep like small banana plants over winter? Do you, or bananas, what do you do with them? Well, the, the Mizabasdia we leave in the ground. I mean, there's no problem with those whatsoever. I think 2010, 29, 2010, the last really bad winter here, they were raised to the ground, but they shot from the base again. 
Um, but it yeah. takes them four, four or five years to get up up there again to the huge height that they were. Um, and Seti Morelli, what we tend to do with them, we're absolutely brutal with them, Jimmy. Um, and we don't save that many because it's expensive to heat the greenhouse just to keep them alive. But I like to keep between 10 and 20 good yeah. sized plants for putting out next year. And I cut the roots back to virtually nothing. And I put them in a very small black plastic pot in just regular um, nursery potting compost. And I cut yeah. the tops back to just a single stem. And then I don't water them yeah, because they, fine. they contain so much water. And um, the, the way that the, the, the most losses I've ever had is from being from them being too wet at the root during the winter. So keep them yeah. dry. Pick yeah. them up and tell them nothing, basically. Yeah. One water can kill them, you know that. It, it sounds yeah. like you've got, obviously, alongside the garden, quite a, a lot of space available for all of the necessary propagation and stuff as well. What's the behind the scenes of Huntingbrook like? It's um there's no heat really in Glasshouse and Tunnels. So there's there's two there's three small tunnels beside the house and a glass house, and then there's the classroom. And then there's another tunnel down the road. Yeah, there's a good bit of space. <laughs> and then there's another, all the succulents, because I didn't have room, I had to put out a plea on Facebook and Instagram for someone to take all my succulents. So a woman up the road has taken them in and it's like they're gone to the best hotel in the country. They're, um, they're, they're having a wonderful winter up there. Um, so they're all gone. All the, I have an awful lot of aeoniums, so they're all gone up there where, <laughs> where they're minding them. The likes of the cactus here, they're all... They're just in for the winter. They all go out for the summer. And you've got obviously one kind of house plant that looks like it's always in. Are you into your house plants as well, or is it predominantly outside? Uh, you know, only recently, um, my niece and her partner have just set up a business um, on doing house plants, and um, so I said I better get into them. Um, so I've literally just 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 getting into them. Usually, I just let them die. To be quite honest with you, but. Um, yeah, I'm quite enjoying them because you know we're at home. I'm at home more. I'm usually traveling a lot, so nice to nice to have some plants in the house. <laughs> these are easy. Do you do nothing with these? Have any of the house plants you've got started to prove a little bit too tricky? Uh, you know, because some some are fantastically easy, and some house plants like they sulk for quite a long time when you bring them into uh, your house. No, I'm really loving leaves like this, but you know. I just think it's going to end up dying. I just have the feeling it's going to die. <laughs> oh no, Jimmy, keep it alive and then plant it in the garden next year in the summer. Then it can die. Enjoy <laughs> then it. Can die. <laughs> I don't know what it survives, but actually, I don't think it will um, Yeah, like, I mean, I love leaves. I love leaves so much. And look at that beautiful oh, leaf. Yeah. yeah. So gorgeous. And there's so much, so easy to get these little plants now. Yeah, but it's not my forte, house plants. I also think with people, I mean, I'm by no means an expert, but I've been trying for like two years now to, to work out how to keep my houseplants happy. And I think sometimes it is just A, about finding the right place in your house. And B, they kind of have to settle into their groove because I've had plants that look like they're hating it in my house and then they just sort of settle in and they get happy again. Yeah, I think we forget because, you know, it's amazing. Like I, I feel so much more confident outside with plants, but you kind of forget that a lot of these plants maybe are plants that come from jungle areas and that are in shade. And I, I just think they need so much light when they actually, a lot of them don't need as much light as I think they need. I was moving, I spent yesterday moving clivias around because um, I've got quite a collection of clivias and they came from 
um, Wardens of Weniston, who had a huge collection and then which they sold off in actual fact. I think the majority of them went to somewhere in Sheffield, I believe. Um, but I've got about 50 different kinds, I suppose. And I sort of, I mean, they love shade. I mean, they're the absolute yeah. ideal houseplant because providing you remember to wash and dust the leaves, they can go in areas of very low light levels. Um, and I was thinking it's a bit like bringing spring indoors when the first clibbias open their flowers and they just have. Um, and I mean, we've got lots of different colors. There's all the orange and terracotta ones. There's one that's very nearly red. I, I think it's almost the color of your scarf, Jimmy. I mean, it's that red. Oh it's yeah, lovely. The color of your, your shirt, but I mean, yeah. You know, and we're we going back to the others that are cream with a hint of apricot and a touch of pink in them. Uh, it's nice. quite fascinating. And you keep, you keep them inside, do you? I keep them inside, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's my one bugbear is the fact that uh, we're not quite mild enough for them to be outside yeah. the whole year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember seeing them in, in a collection of them in New Zealand. Yeah. The guy that was, he was breeding them. and uh, But I was really surprised they're outside, like, but I was really surprised where they grew, like it was in shade. Yeah. Um, I remember the lines of them in, in, a, in a woodland garden. Like, yeah. Um, and I've seen them in the south of France as well, and in um, you know, in on the coast down there, in, in places like Cannes and and all the yeah, spa. Yeah. I dare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but they have clivias under the under the trees, growing in the shade. Yeah. It was quite interesting because the clivias were planted in shade together with bearded irises, and we always think that bearded irises they love to have the sun, but they were flowering. I mean, you know, it's warm enough, it's hot enough, I think. I suppose, you know, the amount of light and heat yeah. they get through the shade there yeah. is different to us, yes. you know. Maybe I'll start collecting clivias now. <laughs> That'd be my new one. Your face did look like it lit up at the idea. Yeah, um, I know. Also, I mean, obviously you've talked about um, travelling quite a lot in normal times. Obviously, this year has been a challenge for everybody in, in one shape or form, but how has it been for you? And I, I've seen you kind of adapting and doing lots of online stuff. Um, yeah, so how's it been? Um, yeah, it's been really challenging. It's been really challenging. It's like, you know, there were so many parts of the business that were going so well. I never thought that they'd be just pulled from under me, but in a way I know deep down it was, it was there's a good part to this as well for me because I was doing so many different things and um, it was just getting busier and busier and busier and there were so many people here and it was you know it, it's just made me rethink the whole thing and the longer it's got I can't believe it's still going on but I'm really thinking this is really pushing me to do simpler things and I want to garden more I want to be a gardener I want to be out gardening um, and I don't want I don't want to do a million things anymore I mean, I, of course, I'm going to go back to doing some of them, but it really has shaken it all up for me. And, I think uh, the lesson it's taught everybody, Jimmy, is that we can't spread ourselves too thinly. I mean, there's yeah. only one Jimmy Blake and he won't go everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's rising. And I'm really enjoying I've been We started recording straight away because, like, last March, I panicked and I was like, what am I going to do to, to keep the place going? So we started recording and we, we were recording a whole year in the garden. Um, and they're all online courses like we've a few of them done already online and we're, do, we're in the middle of doing winter now and then my mind last week was like what else can I do so I'm, record, I'm going to record a year of propagation and do it in a few different courses um, 
So actually, it's really exciting. So AD, a friend of mine, comes into the film. It's all very simple. It's done with an iPhone. And um, and I've had to learn the technology to be able to, to get this course up online. And um, I have to say, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's very good. Very calm. And, yeah. and I'm sure people are enjoying watching you as well. Yeah, hopefully. It's not it's not just your knowledge. We've got to look at you as well, Jimmy. Don't forget. <laughs> we always make that such a pleasure. <laughs> it's also, I think, it's really important. It's kind of one of the reasons we're here doing this is to just um, well, provide entertainment for people who are trapped, uh, trapped at home yeah. and, and want to be able to, to learn more and use the time effectively. And also just in any time, whether there's a pandemic on or not, just spread that knowledge because people like you, people like Alan, you've got all of this amazing stuff and it's trapped in your head. We need to get yeah. it out so people like me can learn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about yeah. you, but I feel that um, when you're, I mean, if you're doing these tutorials and things, um, wonderful idea, but a, a part of it is demystifying everything because I think, first of all, uh, most importantly, probably people tend to overcomplicate how, how to propagate Absolutely. plants. Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, I was thinking one little thing about sowing sweet peas, which I've just been doing. Um, you know, people worry about looking at old books and how you have to, you take a nail file and you file the seed down yeah, so yeah. The you can get in, the most you can get into the seed to help it. You don't need to do all that. You know, soak your seed in warm water for 24 hours. Forget it. Just soak so that seed and get it in the ground. <laughs> it will grow. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's great for people to hear because, you know, we were, we were recording doing root cuttings last week. Yeah. And, we were just simplifying it. And it was lovely just to really simplify it. Like you're literally just, and, and also saying, okay, don't be trying to figure out, oh God, can this plant be done by root cuttings? Try it, try it. Have yeah. a bit of fun, just try it. Um, and it's nearly, it's nearly a bit easier to teach, record the online courses because um, you're able to get a good flow of teaching going on. Nobody's interrupted you. <laughs> 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 um, I, I've lost track. Did you have any more show and tell? This morning, it was amazing to see the Daphne phylum. A, a morning like that, that's so frosty, it really slows you down. And my mind was going a million miles an hour this morning because I didn't sleep right. And um, it's amazing when you walk around the garden. I came back in feeling really like, oh, really much better. But watching the plants and what I, what I was doing this morning was looking at the plants that do this, that fold themselves down on a frosty morning. And then the Daphne phylum were literally just all squashed in like that, protecting themselves. And to see the lovely red stem, I love Daphne phylum, the great shrub. Um, and there's just there's quite a few different, well, a few different forms of it. This is a particularly good one. You have those red. Oh, that's beautiful. See, I remember that shrub from that, that Daphne phylum from years and years ago when I didn't know very much. Um, and I saw it somewhere and I bought it, expecting it to do something fabulous. I mean, yeah. I, I expected a huge flamboyant flower. I don't know why or why, you know, it, just, yeah. it was in my head. And of course it doesn't, does it? Just, it's quite modern. I, yeah, yeah, you hardly ever see a flower. But it's, I repeat it around here and it's just, it's a good evergreen. Um, and then your, your fatty polycarp, polycarp, like polyphyla, polycarp, polycarp, is it? Yeah, just that they're so, so good as well. Yeah. I mean, I've lifted the canopy of it, just watching it in the woodland this morning with, with snow on the leaves. Such a great plant for shade, but much nicer than just Fatsia japonica. Um, 
and you can get a few different forms of that, but the leaves are much thinner as well that are, they're really nice um, and very easy to propagate. Um, one of the pseudopanics I use repeated to one of the areas is one called Lesonii to Toatara. Toatara. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the reason I use a lot of these pseudopanics through the beds is that they're, they don't block light. They're very narrow. They give me structure without being bulky, without being big green blobs. You can see through them. And if they do get a bit bulky or blobby looking, pruning them just to be able to see, to let the sunlight come through them. That's obviously a theme that runs through your life, Jimmy. You you do like to see through your plants. Yeah, yeah. What about yeah. bamboos? I, collect, I have a lot of different bamboos. Do you do you actually thin the culms out as well, the canes? Yeah, we lift we lift the canopy on them. Yeah, um, it makes such a difference because you see the, you see the canes, you see the striations, you see the colour, and it's just. It elevates to a whole new level. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot of bamboos around here, actually. Um, and down through the valley, trying to put bamboos on corners. I, love, I remember seeing that in the garden in England, a woodland garden, a valley garden, that had paths gone down through a valley, but they used bamboos on each corner. Yeah, and I suppose, like, I mean, I had these picked yesterday for a thing, or Saturday night Zoom, Instagram Live, um, the hamamelis. Yeah. Uh, or witch hazels. They're just so, so good this year. Um, not that I don't have to, I don't, I always say I must get more of them. And once they finish flowering, I always forget. <laughs> um, I'm sure you probably have, do you have t different types of them? I have several different kinds, yeah. That's just paladin. Talking yesterday, um, when we were talking to Matt Pottage, but I was just mentioning the fact that um, lots of the breeding work seems to have been to get them into, into much darker colours. We went to the oranges and then we're going towards rusty browns and almost to plum colours. And I don't yeah. think those plum colours show up quite so well. Very hard to see them. Yeah. Hard to see them. Like if you, you know, you've a lot of dull days this time of year. and Exactly. Yeah. Something that shines out like a beacon. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Well, like that's very ordinary. That's that's just paladin. Yeah, and it, it's so bright and so and good. Yeah, like have a few different you know, small new ones I got. I can't even think of the names, but they they're kind of the reds and oranges. But I actually can't. It's very hard to see them. It's very um, hard to get excited about them. You think, why did I waste all that money? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They look lovely on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> well, I think it's um, it's why visiting gardens is so important. I mean, to be honest, whether it's a, you know a fantastic garden like one of your your two gardens, or you know the little tiny national garden scheme gardens, some of which are just a, a normal person who just loves their garden. It's so important to go and see plants doing their thing because otherwise, if you're a newer gardener like me, you see a little close up on Instagram or in a catalogue, yeah, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't really show you what a plant does. Yeah. Yeah, it can be misleading. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's always something to be learned, however large a garden there is that you visit. There's always something to be learned, something to take, and something, an idea that will probably cement itself to an idea already in your mind. And then you have inspiration, then you have an idea, and then you spend money, just like Jimmy did with snowdrops the yeah. other day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we never actually asked what snowdrops you had um, been wooed by. <laughs> um, uh, uh, one called Lucy Phantom 
Godfrey Owen yesterday, and T-R-Y-Z-M. That's a trim hybrid, I think, isn't it? Trism. Yeah, they generally do quite well for me here. But uh, I also ordered some really, I'm really into podophyllums, very, very much into woodland plants. Um, and I'd really like to start breeding podophyllums because there's some amazing podophyllums in America that we don't really have here yet. That I'm really after, podophyllum starfish. Oh. It's funny with the snowdrops, I always kind of said, well, I'm not really... Um, a galanthophile, but I am, I am, <laughs> I am, and it's more important this year than ever. Jimmy, I think there's a certain relief when we actually admit these things. Yeah, it's the first step towards recovery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah, I tell you, I, I didn't think of myself as being particularly um, as a galanthophile at all until um, Joe Sharman came here one day and we were talking about having a snowdrop day about four years ago. And I said, well, I haven't really got enough snowdrops to, to look at. Uh, and he said, um, well, let's go around and have a look and see where the snowdrops are. And this was just after Christmas. And he, we went around we, most of the morning just spotting snowdrops and where they're coming up and the labels and all the rest of it. And then we got back and he said, Alan, do you realise you've got more than 150 different varieties? <laughs> <laughs> and still it goes on, I'm afraid. So there we are. The, it sounds like your, your FLOMO list is decreasing after your, your Saturday spending spree. With so much garden to play with, do you have quite a long wish list of plants? Yeah, there's always a big list of what I want to get. Um, there's a pseudo panics at the moment called Fiddlesticks. And it's only available in New Zealand. And then there's one nursery in France. Um, and I think I go on every day to see have they made it available. <laughs> they, it's in production. And, um, and I'm not telling you the name of the nursery case, Alan. Are you? Go on. <laughs> and it's got pink in the, like, it's like the brownish, like Pseudopanus crassifolius. But it has, I think it's kind of like pink in the leaf. <sighs> what Jimmy's just said. And that is the fact that he's such an avid collector of plants and he knows where all these rare and wonderful plants are that interest him. And you know damn well that if a good gardener like Jimmy is going to find these plants, they're going to become available because, you know, the one thing that you can be assured of is if you can get these plants and you can propagate them, you can probably make um, a little bit of money from them while they're still rare and unusual and not everybody has them and it doesn't last very long. So... It's quite something, it's nice, um, Jimmy. I'll wait until you got it to sale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do that with Sheffers. My whole idea was to have a range of plants here, like the pseudopanics and Sheffers, but it's a very slow process. And the problem is, if you propagate Sheffers, I want to plant them. I don't want to sell them. <laughs> That's the problem. Like, if I if I had 50 Sheffers, I'd want to put them in the valley. <laughs> so, I have to say, they're spoken like a true plant lover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been getting inspired by your Instagram. This always happens. We invite someone on the podcast and then I start looking at their Instagram feed in close detail in preparation. And then <laughs> I come away with that 3000 more plants that I want in my tiny, tiny suburban garden. Um, but one thing that did stop me in my tracks was uh, a Lindera triloba, um, which just looked lovely. That'd be good shrub for your garden because it's really slow grown. It's a small shrub. It's got the most beautiful leaves, like really prehistoric looking leaf. I got that in, uh, I would say, Crook Farm in Wales. Yeah. It was your description of it. It's, it's autumn colour. 
the fact that it wasn't going to get massive because I do have to think about space and how fast growing things are but also yeah. you do you do seem to be drawn to these fantastic foliage plants and there's a lot of sort of the the lobe leaves these really interesting sort of types yeah. of leaves that have so much character about them there's so much interest yeah yeah I love it's funny the, the, when I'm growing woody plants like the first thing for me with a woody plant is that it has a good leaf um you know, I love Philadelphus and Dutias and um, that have wonderful flowers, but it's very, I find it very hard to actually justify putting them up in this part of the garden if they don't have a really good leaf. So that's leaf. Leaf is really important to me. That's something that comes through when we talk to gardeners quite often is an actual fact that uh, for a funny sort of, uh, in a funny sort of way, the foliage is more important than the flowers. And if you think about it, I mean, you'll always get flowers anyway um, on yeah. lots of these plants. But I mean, foliage is with you for twelve months of the year, or at least seven or eight. Yeah, yeah, and and it That's is. True. And I think it's one. And I always think about that. It's not just the shape of the foliage, or the, it's the way it's held on the plant. It's whether or not it's light reflecting. Because if you've got yeah. a dull leaf, a dull leaf makes a dull plant in my eyes. I mean, look at lots of the hybrid rhododendrons. So then, I mean, they're a blaze of color for about three or four weeks and then yeah. you get it. You know, they're just- Definitely, definitely. And that's like, because I grew up in a rhododendron garden across the fields and like there was a huge amount of rhododendrons, but there was yeah. no big leaf rhododendrons in that. And it was amazing in March or May and June. But um, so my thing here with the rhododendrons, there's hundreds of rhododendrons put in, but most of them are interesting leafed rhododendrons. Yeah. And there's, I mean, not just the big leaf ones, Jimmy, there's some that are got really small leaves and they have flowers that are kind of delicate, almost bell-like, um, but they yeah. can make quite big plants. And once they get quite big, they have this lovely cinnamon colored bark that sort of peels back and it just looks fabulous in the winter beautiful beautiful yeah yeah there's so many of them I just you know I was saying to my mum the other day my mum is 90 now and I was saying to her they really need another lifetime here in this garden because to see the rhododendrons it's so exciting like they're starting to flower now but I really do need more time <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy I'm sure you'll get it <laughs> okay I have put it. I have put in a request. So. <laughs> just several lifetimes. I think so many gardeners, you feel that way. You just want so many more seasons to see things, yeah, see yeah. things develop. Um, yeah. So you've you've got you've got that flomo quite high up your list. You've inspired my flomo. Were there any other flomos you wanted to share, Jimmy? Before I ask Mr. Gray about his. Um, there's a banana plant that um, called Siam Cy Ruby. I'm just dropping this in in case Alan has it. <laughs> Um, and uh, we can smuggle a piece over. Um, it, it has really red leaves, uh, but not red like, not red like the insetti. It's a, it's a beautiful one. And I got a baby plant a few years ago and um, it died. Uh, but that's definitely on my list. Um, sorry, to definitely on sorry to disappoint you, Jimmy, but no, I don't have it yet, but I will. <laughs> you will. <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll, we'll keep in touch about that one yeah um yeah what else is on my list um unfortunately i only tried to make the list about one minute before we started <laughs> so uh um 
It's so hard to remember. I mean, we were talking about this with Matt Pottage um, with technology. Now he just he keeps a, a folder of screenshots on his computer because I mean, I don't know about you, but I go through Instagram just taking shots yeah. of the screen because you see so many yeah. things you can't remember yeah. them all. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do I, I do put a folder of of Instagram photos. Uh, together and that like with dahlias I'm trying to do a whole lot of new dahlias this year Um, oh yeah I know I know and I was desperate last night because I put up a post about can anyone help me Um, dahlias brown sugar yeah that's been my favourite in my garden I love it you have it (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) we need to talk (laughs) You can't get it. And we, we're not able, now we're trying to figure out how we can get dailies over here from, from England. Um, but it's not, it's not available in like Dutch or the other nurseries, no. Well, I mean, I took a bit of a risk and left mine in the ground with a load of mulch on it this year. So let's see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Let's see. <laughs> we'll see how many cuttings are on it when it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> the one, but there are great bonuses that dailies are very easy from cuttings. Even if you, you know, once you get your tuber growing, if you can give it a little bit of bottom heat, I mean, it bursts into growth and grows like whoop, whoop. But, yeah. you know, sometimes you have to take your cuttings in stages. But quite often you can see those little those little roots forming on the base of the stem when you take your cuttings. They're very easy. They're easy, yeah. Adventitious roots. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing... I'm going well, to put some of the tubers on the propagator now fairly soon just yeah. to get them on, bring them on quicker. Well, I mean, it's well worth looking for brown sugar. It's well worth doing everything in our power to make more of them because it's a wonder. It's a wonderful, fabulous, floriferous. Yeah. And what, what height was Was it very small? No, it was, quite, it was quite tall. I'm really bad at estimating heights, but yeah. I'd say a good, like, four, four foot. Alan's looking at me like she has no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> 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 Never get me to estimate heights. It was quite I'm the same big. as you. I'm the same. I'm the very same. <laughs> it was quite big in my small garden anyway. I know that much. Yeah. Um, Alan, I think your Flomo is actually going to kind of come round to Jimmy. What What is it this week? It's going to come right back to Jimmy. And I'm going to lay this at your door, Jimmy, because um, <laughs> for some time I've been wanting, I didn't know about a Daphne, Daphne Balua, um, called Mary Rose. And I didn't know about it until this year when I read about it. And I suddenly thought, oh, I must get that. And I found a nursery that said they had it. And of course, they'd sold out by the time I got to the thing. And I was looking through YouTube the other day for Daphne Mary Rose. And up pops Jimmy Blake. Oh, <laughs> is that where it was? That's so funny. It's, uh, yeah. There you were with Daphne Ballou and Mary Rose. You were talking about it. You were describing it. You were saying, I think you said something like, well, I can't quite smell it yet, but... Um, you know, it will, it will waft on the air and all the rest of it. Now, it's just much like um, Jacqueline Postel, but it's a much darker colour. It's a much oh, it's deeper. Beautiful. It's really, really rich colour. Um, yeah. But I did, I got that from Nick Mason, Handle Over Plan. Yeah. So that's, that's probably your best bet to try. But I, um, after what you've been saying, Jimmy, in my list that I've written down, <laughs> Lepras, uh, Pseudopanax, uh, <laughs> Banana Siam Ruby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just sort of think I think I think a little trip to Nick Mesa is is um is going to happen really. Yeah, um, it's always it's always good. Always he good. Does, 
very unusual plants. I mean, I know we're giving him a plug, but I think he deserves it because, I mean, he goes up. He's just an old hippie, really, isn't he? I mean, he just... <laughs> yeah. and goes, does a bit of plant hunting, which is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, no, he's got a great nursery. Yeah. And we, and we, we reap the benefits. No, I have a lot of plants from there, actually. I usually go over once a year. And Krug Farm, too. Yeah, yeah. So many plants. Okay, can I just tell a little story about Krug Farm? I don't know whether we'll be able to use this or not. But anyway, um, I read about a dahlia uh, that um, was growing in a Norfolk garden, and I didn't know the people, and it was a tree dahlia, um, and one of the imperialist types. Um, and it was flowering at five to six feet tall, and then it got seven foot, then it got eight foot, then it got nine feet tall by the end of the season. Um, and it was pink, um, and it wasn't hugely spectacular, but the foliage on it was so big, it looked like a great big elder, um, with these chunky stems that looked like huge bamboos and this crowning head of pink, moby pink flowers. And I located it uh, to Creek Farm. Um, <laughs> And I spoke to um, Sue there and she said, oh, I've got one. Um, I can't dig it up at the moment. It's outside in the garden. I'll dig it up and send it to you. That's 50 pounds, though. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> look at Jimmy's face. <laughs> and I thought, who's this mad person paying 50 pounds for a dahlia? Not only that, it was 25 pounds carriage. So that's 75 pounds <laughs> in total for this dahlia. But I have to tell you that when it, when it came, I was... I opened the box in sort of fear and trepidation about what I was going to find. This whopping great tuber that I managed to make five plants out of. So if you take the initial 75 yeah. pounds and then yeah. divide by five, it mitigated that cost somewhat. So yeah. and it did did very it did very well. And what what was it called? Does it have a name? I, I can't remember, Jimmy. Yeah, right, yeah. It's one of the tree dahlia hybrids. I mean, you yeah. know, don't you? Oh, I do know them well. Yeah, yeah, I know well, them well. Just ring and ask her the, 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 the dahlia that Alan Gray bought last year. Oh, yeah, it was only last year. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah, just bought yeah, all yeah. these snowdrops. You can't go buying a 75 pound dahlia. <laughs> you watch it. <laughs> isn't it exciting knowing you've got them coming in the post? Yeah. Yeah. This week now is going to be good. The post is going to be good this week. Um, I've loads of woodland plants arriving this week. So. Love that. <laughs> Thank you for giving up, you know, an hour of your time to sit and talk to us about plants. It's been wonderful. No problem. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Always good to talk about plants. Let's do it again. Let's do it at a totally different yeah. time of year and we can see what your garden's doing then. Yeah, we do it in full flower. So I can, uh, you couldn't even, you know, I was going to pick some flowers this morning, but everything was frozen solid. The snowdrops were like <laughs> flat on the ground. You couldn't even you couldn't even pull them out of the ground the flower, so uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again. <laughs> well, thank you and happy gardening. Yeah, thank you so much to both of you. All right, Jimmy, lovely to see you. Bye. See you. Bye, bye. Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs>